Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora, welcome everyone. Uh, and it's a pleasure to introduce you to this Kiwi Focus webinar. Um, a very special welcome to our Australian colleagues who are joining in. Uh, we hope you're all keeping safe and um, a special thank you for joining us um, during this challenging time. It's a pleasure to formally introduce you to Dr. Alan Watkinson and Anne Badger. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing them both for some time, and like many of you, I'm grateful to them for their generosity of their knowledge, support, and encouragement. Alan's worked in education uh, for his entire career. He's had time at Scotch College, Trinity, Melbourne Business School, and La Trobe University. Um, Anne, uh, like Alan, is an educator as well, and has had the last 20 years in advancement including at Ormond College, Melbourne Grammar, and they've both presented widely for Educate and for PLUS, Educate PLUS and for CASE. Um, and they've both served as presidents of Educate PLUS, so we're thrilled to have them. Um, for myself, I'm New Zealand Chapter President for Educate PLUS. I'm in the University of Canterbury in a major gifts role, and, but my very first role in alumni and development was for a small institution, a very small office, just me, and um, this is very much the way for many of us. So, Alan and Anne, thank you very much for your time today, uh, teaching us just how we can operate in a small environment, so hopefully we're waving and not drowning. Let's get started. Thank you both. Thank you, Naomi, and thank you to Sheila. And um, it's uh, as I look around the country and we're all and New Zealand, we're all in various stages of lockdown, and we think about whether we are waving or drowning, or perhaps juggling seems to be the word of the day. I think many of us are juggling things. Um, to many small shops, the concept of actually managing the situation seems to be an oxymoron. Just surviving on a day-to-day -day basis seems to be uh, what many people are focused on in this. And yet, when we look around the country and around our world of advancement, we're getting amazing results from very many small shops, and most of us are in small shops. So how do we accomplish everything, the day-to-day -day tasks? Because after all, a small shop does everything that a large shop does. It does annual giving, it does bequests, it does major gifts, it does campaigns, it does alumni, it does donor stewardship, it might do enrolments, it does all those sorts of things. Yet we don't have the same uh, resources, we don't have the same infrastructure, we don't have the same support. So how do we more than survive? How do we thrive in that environment? What are the attributes of a modestly staffed office? What are the efficiencies and effective ways to work? And um, how do we explore that? So Alan and I have been there, we've done that. We've both worked a lot of our careers in quite small offices. So we're drawing on that experience today to share some of those insights with you. And I think also, um, I think the pandemic is providing interesting opportunities. Uh, there was a recent Educate Plus Smarts and Lundy survey, and a number of you commented that the pandemic is actually providing real opportunities to think about things differently and indeed to shed something. So think about that, shedding some of those pesky events you've wanted to get rid of for years. Uh, a number of you responded to the survey uh, before this workshop, and we thank you for that. So just looking at that, most of you are working in one, two or three person offices, not many in much more than that. Many of you cover a wide range of areas. 
interestingly, you're quite experienced with over 40% having far more than five years experience. So you know what you're doing. You just want to do it better and more effectively. And not surprisingly, the key issues are about time management. And some of the comments were getting my head above administrivia to actually talk with real people. The heavy workload and too little time in the day. Empowerment to make things happen. Moving from being reactive to proactive. So let's look at some of the ways that we might do that. If we're thinking about it, the first thing to work out is where are you at? Where does advancement fit within your organisation? Where are you going to? What's expected of it? Who are you reporting to? How does it work? So today, within this workshop, we want to unpack some of that. We want to unpack where you are professionally, institutionally and department-wise within your institution. And we want you to think about where the shoreline is. If you feel like there's an undertow and you're drowning in the, in the waves, then you're not getting there. But we do have a sense of where you're going to and how to get there. And we're going to look at some tactics to do that today along the way. And these are the sorts of comments that many of you made. These are the sorts of things that you're eternally juggling. Uh, all of these areas, and perhaps some of you actually really have a personal life as well. Maybe you actually do something outside of work. Um, maybe you actually have a partner and a family and a puppy and, and cats and dogs and exercise and activities to do. So that concept of juggling came across in many of your comments. Uh, you're trying to manage all of these areas and you are all of these things, uh, all of these areas. You're very talented because you're doing many, many of you are doing all of these things and indeed uh, more than that. So, Alan, let's get into how we might unpack this. Okay, well, thanks, Anne. And um, can I also extend my welcome to everybody to the webinar? It's great to have you here again. Now, I'm going to place myself in a strange position by saying I don't expect many of you would really know the Mikado very well in the land of Titipu and all of the ridiculous things that go on there. But for many of us in small shops, there are a lot of similarities. And you might actually start off by thinking about yourself as a bit of a wandering minstrel who goes from job to job, singing little bits of snatches of this and doing shreds of that. And so we want to try and have a look at that whole concept of bringing it together and actually turning from being just a wandering minstrel into something and somebody much more purposeful. So three questions here. And they reflect, obviously, what Anne has just been talking about. Um, what do you, can you actually manage during your working day, your working week, your working month, uh, and a realistic assessment of how much you can manage? But in order to understand that, you also have to have some sense of where do you actually sit in terms of the organisation? And many schools, and I know this is particularly true in New Zealand with the integrated schools and so on, many of you sit on the periphery. And sometimes you're just sort of a, a very nice little bit of an add-on, which people take notice of when they think it's important. But we need to try and change that. And we'll be giving you a few suggestions about how you change that, per, that positioning a bit later. And then as well as knowing where you sit, having a sense of your status. Do you report to your head or principal? 
do you report to a chair or are you having to report to somebody else on the way up? And it gives you a sense of your relative status and then what you may be able to achieve. But with all of that, this little diagram brings us back to some very basic things. It doesn't matter if you're a one person or a two or a three person shop, as you consider your position, your status within the organization, you have to work out who you are and what, what you are doing, where you want to be over the next two to three years and how you're gonna get there. They're very basic questions, but if you can step back from the drowning, waving, juggling state for a moment and just consider those three questions. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And then what do we want to be? And then you can make the plan about how to get there. And so let me ask this question. Some of you would, I think, have been on a webinar I did with Penny Bowman a few weeks ago about your strategic plan. But thinking about your institution rather than just your own office at the moment, does your institution have a strategic plan? Have a look at it. And are you and your office part of it? If not, something needs to be done because it then tells you that you're just a peripheral activity. You need to be part of the institutional strategic plan. Penny and I talked about vision, mission, purpose, and values. And you can get all of this information off the Educate Plus website, of course. I'm sure it's still up there. But then when you look at the institutional one, think about your own office. How, do you, how does your office, how do you and your colleagues relate to those institutional values, purposes, missions, and vision? And can you reflect that in your own work? And the next thing is, what is the institution doing for the next two years? Where is its plan? Strategic plan often goes out five, 10, sometimes longer years. But what is the institution trying to do for the next couple of years? How does your office fit into it? What value are you adding? Are you part of it or are you just again on the outside? Now, Anne's going to take you through uh, a couple of models here. And so I'm going to pass back to you, Anne. Thank you. And um, as you know, all of the slides will be available via Educate Plus as well. So all the material will be available as always. So here's a, a real life example. Uh, Naomi mentioned that uh, my last position was at Ormond College at the University of Melbourne. And here we have an example, a real life example of how the advancement function was at the centre and very clear to everyone as to the role it played. So this was our diagram that was developed with staff and alumni and the board together, a shared understanding of who we were and what we did. So at the top in the little, in the little temple here, we've got what Ormond aimed to be. So one of the world's leading colleges and so on and so forth. And then the four pillars that were going to get us there so they were the four pillars that helped to focus on each one and each area of the college had responsibility for those pillars. The parts that I've highlighted in red were the parts of the advancement office, a small team that did marketing, admissions, uh, scholarships, fundraising and alumni did. And you can see that we're actually well represented in two of those pillars. This was an enormously helpful tool to us because it meant that all of the staff, not just the advancement team, 
but all of our staff had clarity on where we all stood in relation to each other and the roles that we played in getting there. And it certainly focused our mind, our attention and our activity in terms of who we were and what we had to do. And it helped us to develop a plan because we could see that. So here we were, a full college. So that was marketing and admissions, students from diverse backgrounds for whom financial need has not been a barrier. So that was our fundraising reputation. So that was marketing and brand and engaging and cultivating support with our alumni. So that was alumni relations and fundraising. So it brought all of the arms together and we had that shared understanding of who we were, where we stood in relation to each other and our interdependence. And on our next slide, we have another example from a school. One of the ones that Alan and Penny shared with you in the strategic planning one, showing a school office and their shared understanding. And I wonder how many of you actually can both as a team all say why you're there and what you're doing and then how many within the wider institution to which you belong, that's, that, that's the school or the college within your working, do they understand what you do or do they think of you as people commonly do as the events office or the party office? So here we have that exercise of making it very clear in simple language why we're there, what we do, and what benefits that brings to an institution. So the process of both working that out together, articulating it and then sharing it is important. And our next slide is another variation. Less words, very simple way of doing it. So different ways of approaching it. Here at Melbourne Grammar School, again, at a, at a, an advancement office that covered all of the areas, they had a very simple uniting statement about why we were there and what we did to serve and advance. So the advancement office served and advanced. So I would recommend as a starting point, this exercise of articulating and sharing who you are, why you exist, the benefits not only of your team, but to the wider institution, and then workshopping that with the wider staff and indeed board members, alumni associations, and so on. So that together you're all on the same page. So Alan is going to talk us through a bit more about the office. Thanks, Anne. Um, and following on from that, what Anne is talking about is obviously communication and engagement with the different arms of the institution. It doesn't matter now if you're in a single person office or a very small office. A very important step in getting to understand where you sit in the organisation, what your status is and what you can achieve is to do some very, very basic bits of work. So look at these questions and write down the answers and they should be pretty straightforward for you but from working with some institutions I found that the answers are not really very clear when I ask well who pays for the office or who pays your salary or who do you report to I get some very interesting lines um, about, well, you know, we draw money from here and we draw money from there and somebody pays for that and somebody pays for my salary, but somebody else does the on-cost. It's very important to actually work out where your main line of reporting is so that you can actually establish those control routes. 
Um, I also find quite often that they're not very clear position descriptions. That's something which, even if you're already in a role, you should review. Because what happens is mission creep. And if you allow mission creep to get into your uh, position description without actually legitimizing it, it just places you under more stress and strain. Um, in most schools I have found in the past, there are not always very clear KPIs or KPAs, the areas of responsibility, um, but it's good to try and institute, even if you're a one-person office, some very clear reporting metrics so you can show what you do and you can also be accountable to yourself and whichever boss or bosses you have. And that relates then to the outcomes and the metrics. Who is actually measuring them? What is your responsibility to them? And ultimately, what's the measure of accountability if you can't meet them? So these are questions which are very basic, but very, very important. And if you do have a team of more than one and you've got two or three part-timers or maybe a, quite a few uh, members who report into the office or a part of the office and they're your team, are you actually reviewing them every year? Do you actually set some clear KPIs? And do you talk through these agreed KPIs or KPAs with them? They're very basic, but very, very important if you're going to manage well. So the next few slides are about just how you take stock of that. Uh, do your org chart. It can be very messy. You can have colored lines, dotted lines, all sorts of lines going around. But where, I go back to that point, where is your main key responsibility line? To whom do you really report? Who is the real authority holder and the decision maker? One of the issues which I found in um, some smaller schools and institutions is the whole issue of database or databases. Yeah? Does the alumni organization have a separate database from the school organization, which is separate from the alumni organization, which is separate from your own spreadsheet on which you keep all of your basic information and which will get lost when you get run over by the bus around the corner? Where is this information? What access do you have? Who controls it? And can you find a way of consolidating database? Because it makes life so much easier. And if you already have programs such as these, which we've mentioned here, do you actually have resources for them? Some of the comments which, you, which Anne referred to in that first slide about, well, we're trying to juggle all of these balls. We've got this and that and everything else. If you're trying to run three programs like annual giving, major gifts and bequests, but you don't have either the human resources or the other material resources, you're setting yourself up for failure. So have a look at what you're supposed to be doing and what the resources are, and then we can evaluate. This is covered really already, but what other so-called official responsibilities do you have which are going to interfere with your core ones? And all of these come up in surveys and in discussions with people. It's endless interference and responsibilities. One of the things I'm going to talk you through in a minute is how you can rationalize this. So you need to have a look at your team. You actually need to write down how many hours your team has actually allocated working hours, ho ho, per week officially per and per month. You need to do that. How many hours per day 
for the team, how many for the week, how many for the month, because it will help you to begin to take stock. So you do that. And here are a couple of assumptions. Um, I doubt anybody in development or advancement who is full-time actually works only 40 hours a week. You're probably supposed to. You're probably supposed to work less. But anybody who works under 60 is probably doing terribly well. But let's make the assumption of a 40-hour week. That's 280 hours per month. This is for one person, of course. But you need to make sure that with those hours, you build in specific times when you're not just going to be available. So I've put in here, use an hour for these, the interruptions which will always occur. Um, you must have a bit of actual break time. Even if you say, oh, I'll eat my dinner at, or my lunch at my desk and I'll only have a cup of tea, or I'll only go to the toilet once a day, whatever it is. Be sensible and put an hour of that day aside for the sorts of things like stretching, walking, eating, toilet breaks, a, a water cooler chat, so that you've actually got things going on there. And that gives you your six hours a day. But if you're a manager, if you've actually got a couple of other people in your team, you need to have time to manage them. So you have to put a bit of time aside. Um, once you've done all of that, get your actual required tasks to be completed, deadlines over the next month, and work out all of that. What are they? How long do they have to, uh, how long will they take? Get them into the chart form. Add them all up and you should then have, with any luck, a little bit of time, which is left to think about the big picture. You need to build some time in. And it's a concern which came up in the survey about moving from administrivia into big picture major concerns. So you have to build in a bit of time to do that because it's one of the first things that goes is your ability to sit, think, plan, and strategize. And a little chart like this can help you. Even if you start with a daily or a weekly chart and you can build up eventually to a quarterly chart, write down the tasks, write down who's responsible if you've got more than one person in your office, write down what the resources are, whether it's just the time you need, the people who have to do it, or the other resources you may, need to respond, you, may, you may need to tap into other parts of your institution, your school to get things done and so on. Try and identify what any possible challenges are and get your dates in. So if you have done all of that, then you are on the way to actually taking control. If you don't do this, you will forever be sitting in the chair and going round and round and round in circles and being this minstrel of shreds and patches and snatches of songs where you need to be completely in control and singing a good long song. Now I'm going to hand back to Anne here because she's very good at doing the sums and telling you what the end results are. Oh, Alan, I think that they've all left town by now an hour a day <laughs> to do these things. It is, I mean, it's an interesting conundrum that we face in small offices because people tell me I don't have the time to plan. And therein lies the core issue, doesn't it? If you don't plan, you don't know where you're going to. You're a bit like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland and you don't know where you're going to or how to get there, but you're so busy doing that you don't plan it. 
So doing these exercises with whatever tools you find useful, and Alan has given you some, there are more on the Educate Plus website in terms of planning tools, but you do need to do it. And you do need to actually look realistically at your week, at your month and say, do I actually have enough time to do any to, to do all of this? And is there any time left unallocated, which is probably highly unlikely, which tells you how realistic your planning is. And the areas of your office which are not allocated during the month. And commonly, the areas that I tend to see from people are, interestingly, things like bequests and major gifts. People often seem to allocate time to busy work tasks, annual giving, emails, activities, important activities, but they often don't allocate time to the areas which show the highest return on investment. So for example, actually interface with people in whatever form that takes. Or if you're working in fundraising, it might be bequests and major gifts rather than just annual giving and regular giving. If you're working in alumni relations, it might be actually getting out from behind your desk and making call and connect calls or meeting with alumni rather than just doing events. So looking at how have you allocated your time, the responsibilities there, the conflicts there, where you don't actually have any resources to do things and what is actually expected of your team. So if you've added up those sums, you should actually be able to then do a matrix showing you where you don't have time, people, resources or expertise and indeed even conflicts of interest about that. So this gives you actually a factual basis to discuss with your head, with your CEO, with your chair, with your reporting line, actually to discuss a way forward. So rather than just going, oh my God, there's too much to do and I can't do it all and what do you want me to do next? You've actually got a plan of action based on real data and saying, well, actually, these areas are the ones which will give us the best results. But 50% of my time is spent on doing data entry or event management, where, in fact, my KPIs are around alumni engagement or about fundraising or about prospect management. So there's a, a conflict between that. And, of course, working out the budget implications. It's no good having a wish list without costing it out and the potential ROI for that investment. And again, organisations like Educate Plus and CASE have got useful benchmarks for that return on investment for the time and investment of those resources, indeed. And I think one of the things that we possibly don't do well are actually providing metrics and dashboards. And simple dashboards like this help you to report upwards, help you to work with your team members, help you to work with your volunteers, help you to report to boards because they're activity focused. They focus on what you're actually doing to get to the KPIs. They actually help you to see here. So here we've chosen a bequest program in 2020 and we've looked at the four quarters of the year and what a year it's been, an amazing year. Um, and how we're progressing against the target. So here we have actually a bequest target 
to secure so many new bequesters. The discovery, the personal contacts, the ask, and the conversion. And you can see, of course, the first half of the year would be weighted towards discovery and personal contacts. And in the second half of the year, be working towards asking and conversion. So a simple dashboard, easy to fill in, easy to track. If you've got a database like Synergetic, then you can actually pull the activity off and populate it. But an easy thing to do, which at a glance gives people an insight into what you're doing rather than lengthy reports. A simple example. And on our next slide, we also have another one by task in terms of lunches, birthday cards, Christmas cards, general cards. So again, some of the activities underpinning this bequest program and what's been happening in them. So finding simple ways to report. Many of you mentioned that reporting was a very onerous task. So find simple dashboards, simple ways to retask that are meaningful and actually give substance to what you're saying rather than pages of words is a particularly helpful tool. It also focuses people on the journey and how you're going there together. So Alan is going to share with you some of those ways of getting there. Okay. And just to follow up on the last couple of slides, uh, when you do that, it's also very good for you to, to look at a particular project like bequests and say, that's our program. So what are the different components in the bequest program for the entire year? So if you, if you sort those out nice and early, get your template in, then it's very easy to fill in the data and to keep reporting. So it's, it's good for focusing. Now, I've got a couple of suggestions here for, for people around the KPIs and the KPAs. Um, and the attempt here and the ways of beginning to change dynamics. And it's, it's never going to work for everybody because so much of the way that you work within your institution is about relationships and they can be very tricky but if you are just starting out and i think from the survey we've got quite a few people who are still under five years then these are questions which you really should be asking the person who is your boss the person who is going to be responsible for evaluating you and it goes back to getting a very clear job description and a clear list of your kpis and understanding how those KPIs are actually going to be measured. And we've talked about core responsibilities. So they need to be set out. And they need to be agreed when you take on a role. The key responsibilities and understanding who is going to measure them and how they can be, how they will be measured. And then the conversation should be about the we. Because if all that's going to happen is somebody in charge, your boss, keeps saying, what are you doing? How are you doing? It's implying that it's just off to one side. We need to shift the conversation across to us. So the question there about what would you like me to achieve while I'm here? So what are your goals in actually apply, in appointing? Me? And then how can I help you achieve those goals? It's an understanding, it's bringing people together. And then what are you prepared, what are you prepared to invest in both finances and in your personal time? Because if this is a conversation about how we build success, a culture of philanthropy, a very good culture with alumni and parent support and so on, are you gonna put some time in as well? 
So make the conversation about mutual respect, mutual understanding and mutual support. And if you're already in there, if you've been there for five years and you're waving, because we hope you're not drowning yet, then still ask some of these questions. Re turn the reference to what's going to happen next year or the next two years. Ask the question about what do you want to achieve in the next couple of years? You're the boss, so what do you want to achieve? And go back to those early slides about where do I fit into this? Where does my office fit into this? If you've got your goals, how can we work together to get these goals? Um, if you've done what Anne and I have just been talking about and had a good, honest look at the time allocations, the resources and so on, you may need to ask a question about, well, what extra investment is available? If these are your goals and this is what we're doing at the moment and here is the data to show you, if you want the extra, is there any extra that you can invest? But don't ask just for the sake of it. You have to have data to show what you're doing now and where the shortfalls are. Well, this is another sort of moment of reflection and it just takes us through everything that we've been talking about. Take stock of where you are, what you're doing, what your team is doing, what the allocations are and your time. Identify those key challenges which are bound to be around human resources, time, interferences, and we'll talk about interferences later. Then, in conjunction with your boss and the institutional strategic plan, set your plan to show how you are adding value and supporting the institutional plan, and then implement it, but monitor as we have already shown. Get the metrics going. And to continue, with my favorite Mikado, um, all of us should have little lists of things that we do. And here is my little list of four points, which I think are very important, having just got to this first stage of knowing where I am and where I want to go. So I know that. I have looked at the institutional plan. I have talked to the boss or bosses. And here is my plan for myself, my office, my team. And now I am going to negotiate. I'm not just going to say here it is and it's what I have decided. This is a negotiated, agreed plan with the bosses. So they know what you're doing. They understand what you're doing. And it's very clearly set out. And if there is some adjustment, that is what negotiation is about. But remember, this is about us. We, the boss, me, my office, we are working together to add value to your institutional plan. And this is how we're going to do it. And when it's signed off, and it has to be signed off, then I'm going to communicate it. I'm not going to sit in it. It's not going to just be behind my door. Everybody will know what we are doing. So it is clear. And anybody who is not in this plan is going to be something which will be peripheral or an interference and we may have to deal with it but if you get to this stage you've already taken control and are heading in entirely the right direction because you've done all the hard groundwork and Anne's going to talk a little bit more about some planning here I think is that correct Anne oh yeah. look there you are 
There I am. Goodness me. We're going to delete all these photos afterwards. No, um, we're not. <laughs> so if, if our, perhaps our institutional plan is to increase philanthropy significantly in order to, uh, to get 10 more scholarships or to build a new science centre or to engage more with alumni or to have a full school that uh, helps the enrolment pipeline. That might be a three to four year goal within the institutional plan that's going to take your institutional forward. So here's one tool. And again, there are many of these tools. We're just giving you some samples here. Here's one tool. What is the goal? to build a bequest program to secure the long-term future of our school, to pick up our bequest theme there. The commentary around it, what do we want to accomplish in the next two to five years? And then what are the intermediate milestones? Perhaps in one year, we want to get eight to 10 new bequest members, or perhaps the first step is to launch our bequest society and get it going. How will we measure success? Who is responsible by when? So by documenting this and plugging it into the institutional plan and showing our plan's relevance to all of that and also painting a bigger picture rather than a survival plan of what we're doing next week or next month, but looking at the horizon, it's horizon. It's much easier to ask for resources when we've got a three, four year stepped plan that takes us through it. It's important in these, as Alan will show on the next slide, to have achievable goals. And most of us understand now the word SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. And some examples of those we've placed on the next slide, just to give you some actual examples of wording there, where we're actually showing what we might do by when and how it fits in to the, to the bigger picture. Too many of us say create a culture of philanthropy or increase giving or increase alumni engagement. What will it actually look like? How will we measure it? How will we know that we've actually arrived there? And then we can actually report on progress. So we hope those planning tools are useful to you. But you've been listening to us for a while now. What we'd like to do now is to to do a little task. And Sheila is going to usher you into your rooms. Very cleverly, under the, under the great Zoom world, you're going to be ushered into rooms. Most of the rooms are two, three, or four, and Sheila will shuffle you around if there's only one in your room. But they, should, they have been planned so that you've got that. You also should have received from Sheila a worksheet that was emailed to you to work from. So when you're in your room, and we hope that you're meeting with colleagues with whom you can have a conversation. We wanted you to note down your three core tasks, the things that at the end of the year are job definable. To keep your job, you need to do these three core tasks or responsibilities. Share them and see what are common in that room and what's unique. What are the sorts of interferences you have? What are the things that stop you being able to achieve those core tasks? Again, sharing them and seeing if there are common threads there. And then because we're solution focused and not problem focused, what are some of the tactics that you've used to fend off that interference? What are some of the ways that you've solved those problems so that we can share them and so that there's a lot of sharing, not just within your room, but across it, if you send those notes to Sheila, 
they will be shared across all of the participants at the end of it. Now, Sheila, I think we're going to allow seven or eight minutes for this task. Correct, seven minutes, and you will get a notification when uh, the room is about to close. So I'm going to pop you all in now and enjoy your discussion. See you in seven minutes. Thank you. Thanks, Sheila. We hope that you enjoyed that interaction brief as it was because um, we're fairly confident it will show that many of you share many similar challenges and perhaps you've got some great ideas. Now, I, um, Sheila, you'll email those to Sheila, scan them, sorry, and email them to Sheila and she's going to collate them and share them. And we think that that will be very helpful because we'll get a cross section around Australia and New Zealand of shared challenges, shared uh, uh, interferences and shared solutions and pooling our way forward is what we do at Educate Plus. Perhaps before we move on, Ellen, we might just get one or two people to give a bit of brief feedback. If anyone would like to talk about some interferences or some solutions there, uh, any volunteers there? I'm gonna call on Russell because I know that he's always got something to say. <laughs> Not sure what you're trying to say there, Anne. <laughs> um, okay, do you want me to start with the, um, uh, my sort of responsibilities there? Uh, but, yeah, perhaps talk about briefly, very briefly responsibilities, but the challenges to get the interferences to achieving those there, Russell. Yeah, yeah good question. I think, the, I think a common thread in the room that I was in, Anne, was certainly around system challenges for many people. So uh, systems at, at different levels, uh, perhaps, perhaps use of multiple systems within uh, a school or a tertiary organisation. Um, and, and having to, to deal with that and, and get on top of those system challenges. Um, certainly uh, time was, was mentioned um, quite a bit in, in our room as well. And I think managing uh, multiple areas, so therefore uh, managing multiple staff, um, spreading time effectively and efficiently between, between staff and between programs was, was a couple of the ones that came out there. Terrific. And did you come up with any uh, tactics at work? Uh, we got cut off right at the end talking about tactics. Um, I, uh, I was about to throw in a couple of the, the tactics that I've certainly used and probably, um, you know, working with, um, with my team in terms of making sure that they have really strong autonomy um, and they are strongly, uh, their, their views are really strongly considered and, and put into practice. Um, and also the tactics that we use with our with our donors in terms of stewardship, you know, making sure that we are constantly um, communicating and constantly thanking, uh, regardless of the size of, of, of their gift or their contribution. Thanks, Russell. I'm sure that if we went around Australia and New Zealand, we'd get lots of common threads there, but we'll look forward, Sheila, to the summary that will come out later on. And thank you, Russell, for that brief insight without any notice that was very helpful. Let's um, move on, Alan, um, to to some, to the, I think we've covered the follow-up there. But we yep, also... just to just to stress there that um, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you with all of this collated information. And if there are some ideas that we have about how you can deal with them, we'll certainly put that in. Um, and, uh, if anybody wants to follow up with particular issues which we can't cover in today or even uh, through those discussion and collated bits of information over the next couple of weeks, we'd be very happy to you know, give you 
a free, an absolute free one-on-one 15 minute or half an hour uh, chat to see if we can help you solve any of your issues. Alan, can I just add something there? And also in the um, pre-webinar survey, a number of people mentioned issues very specific to their institution about perhaps structure and so on. We'd also be happy to have um, offline discussions one-on-one -on -one with people about those. So please feel free to reach out to either of us. Yep, very happy to do that. Um, and here are a few management tips which uh, we think are very useful. There's probably nothing particularly new here, but it's very, very good to go back and reconsider how you deal with people and issues. Um, I've men already mentioned before uh, a lot about engagement is about communication. So really good, strong communication is important when you're trying to deal with any of these issues. Uh, Russell's made some points already there about, um, you know, giving people autonomy that will come up. We think it's really important always to understand what you can do and what you can't do. Because if you try to do too much, you will just end up in a mess. If you've gone through the steps we've already actually uh, outlined, you should know that these are the things I can do, these are the things I can't do, I am going to concentrate on the things I can do and let people know that I can't do these other ones. Well, and uh, Russell made the point about thanking people just now as well. It's the same principle as point number three here. You do need to treat everybody well. You treat them with respect. You go back to the values which you have in your office, which are derived from the values of your institution, which will be around respect and so on. Um, you treat everybody well, but don't imagine everybody has to have exactly the same equal treatment because there are differentials in that and you have to manage it. Uh, most importantly there is, and Anne has already dealt with this a little bit earlier on, focus on where the real impact is, where the money is gonna be, and where you can actually get uh, your resources to work well. And you have to have these basic principles as well. Uh, if you have got too much stuff coming into your office and you evaluate it, put it to one side and explain why it shouldn't be in your office, why you can't do this. Get rid of these things so you can focus on the core responsibilities, the KPAs, the KPIs, and the core tasks. Try and get your processes, your templates, all of those little bits and pieces done early. Get them done once. Make sure they're on the, under the KISS principle. And once you've got them in place and you've tested them, work to them. Don't keep going back and trying to refine. But from the previous slide, the last word on the first slide was commit. Once you have done this, you commit to it and you work through. You can evaluate it at the end of the year, but don't keep nibbling all the way through. You do need to keep very, very good records. Um, and doesn't matter whether it's a single database or several databases, your records need to be somewhere where they are accessible and usable and they're constantly updated. Russell's point about autonomy here, so important again. Don't macro, micromanage everybody for whom you have responsibility. Allow them to grow, allow them to have responsibility. Obviously keep an eye on them, but focus on what you need to do and allow them to do what they need to do. 
And if you do that, again, you're already on a very good upward, upward path of managing all of these juggling balls. Back to Anne, who's going to talk about her favourite subject of communication. And communication is something that we're all uh, focused a great deal on. And I think we've actually learnt a great deal during this pandemic period about how we can communicate with each other and how we can work from home, from offline locations and still share information. So I think we've actually learnt to use some of these tools perhaps more effectively um, along the way. And there's lots of different suggestions there with regard to it. Um, I think communication is one of the systems and shared communication are two of the issues that lay at the centre of what we do. If you don't communicate with each other, with your team, with your outward world, then no one knows what you're doing and how you're going and where you're going to. And there are some suggestions there with it. A single database, I mean, we do see many institutions with multiple databases and unless you've got great systems and processes and someone who manages the exchange of information, multiple databases is a great time waster and a tremendous lost opportunity in terms of a central information thing. Um, and shared electronic files, perhaps some of you experience that frustration working from home, having good systems within your team so that there's autonomy within each team or person or person thereof, but making it easy for people to find things, good labelling systems is a really important uh, tool. And debriefings, quick debriefings, we used to just use a post-it note on a file, literally, uh, if we had an event or an activity, five minutes meeting, that worked well, that didn't work, stuck the post-it note on the file. Nowadays, we do that electronically, just post it to it, and then we had our notes for next year. Not, no big um, business at all. And that shared calendar so we know who's doing what and when. So there are lots of tools that we can use in, in doing it. The common theme, Alan, that people mentioned was meetings, and our next slide talks briefly around that. I wonder when you do your uh, audit of how you spend your time, how much is spent in meetings and how much you've found in the pandemic, you've been aided or in fact distracted by increased or more focused meetings. So here are some tips around it. Never have a meeting for the sake of it. Always have an agenda and a purpose. Why are you having the meeting? What is the outcome of the meeting? Only hold meetings when you need to do them ask if you need to be there. I've always found it useful to put times against the agenda. Two minutes intro, five minutes to discuss these topic. Always make certain that the important topics are at the top. Often we put housekeeping at the top and never get to the real stuff. So look at the agenda and invert it a bit. Put the important stuff at the top and make certain that those things are dealt with and they're not rushed at the end in the last five minutes. The construct of your agendas really matters. Start and finish on time. I had one great boss who, regardless of who was there, started the meeting on time and it trains people to be there on time, whether it's a virtual meeting or an in-presence meeting. It enables me people to be confident that their time will be used well and that it's worth getting there. Detailed minutes are not often essential for most of our meetings unless there's statutory requirements. And so brief action notes, who said, brief extra who's going to do what is really helpful rather than lengthy minutes. So what do you need to know from the meeting? This was agreed. This was who's going to do this, what's next. 
And stand-up meetings, five-minute, ten-minute stand-up meetings are terrific rather than everyone settling in with a cup of tea or coffee and pushing back the chair and having a natter. There's a time and a place for those sorts of meetings. But the quick stand-up whip-around meetings are a very effective tool. And um, meeting in someone else's office or in their doorway can be a very useful um, tactic as well to help them. We've and got can I just... Can, can I just add one thing in there, because it's very important, and uh, I agree with everything you've said. Um, and the fourth point there about only hold meetings when you need them is incredibly important. And often in institutions, you'll find that, you know, there's a regular meeting put into your diary. Um, but all, you know, for who's ever organised it, but make sure that meeting has purpose. But there is a downside to it as well, and that is... Don't just cancel meetings because you don't want to go to them uh, because you're nervous of what might come up in the meeting. Uh, it can be quite easy to say, oh, I'm too busy to have the meeting. So if there is a need to have the meeting, still go ahead with it. Um, but if there is no genuine need, then obviously discuss it with the other people and say, we don't have an agenda for this meeting, so let's cancel it. Sorry, Anne, but I've, I've, I've experienced that when I was at La Trobe, that it was too easy for people just to cancel meetings because they didn't want to deal with a difficult issue. And, of course, meetings are an important tool in building consensus and decision-making, and so keeping them going, even if they're short, are important. Now, the next slide deals very briefly with uh, Zoom or meetings or whatever tool you're using, Teams, Zoom, and so on. And I think we've found some upside in all of this. What, where would we be without all the Educate Plus webinars that we've been able to hold? And some of the tools within Teams, Zoom, um, WebEx, whatever organisation you're using. I have actually done uh, a lot of meetings with external people during this period of time and amazed at the range of ages and people who are very happy to meet in this environment. So don't assume, for example, that people over 60 or 70, dare we say, it, uh, don't want to use it because they are very happy to with simple instructions. Um, and I think that we've learnt during this period about some of the things that work. And the room, the rooms and the chat factor I've used in various organisations, it's a really great tool for encouraging participation and building people. So it's another way. Some people are using them indeed for um, events around the country. So experiment with the tools that we've got and see how you can use them better. All of the rules around meetings um, stay the same. You'll notice that, for example, Sheila and Alan have used the Educate Plus corporate background. Think about your school, your college, having a corporate background so that it it actually reminds people of the organisation. Perhaps it's the backdrop of your, of an iconic building or something about the school, but remind them of the school and the college and be in it. Or perhaps send people a background as a way of feeling part of the meeting. Uh, stick to it, stay, stay on the agenda and finish on time and have some agreed rules about people participating and having people on mute and so on. So you think it's a nuisance. I'm a very busy person. When you have to go to the meeting, make sure that there's an agenda. Make sure that you know your role in the meeting. Make sure that there is a start and finish time. And use some of the tactics we've suggested here that we won't go through. Perhaps it's going to be a very big meeting and you're not sure of your role. You can sit near the back and slip out. 
perhaps the meeting's running incre incredibly over time and you've got something else to go to. Think about that in advance, ask to be excused, use the time to make a list, but be alert to it. Ask if there's any further contribution you could make and then ask to be excused. So be courteous, but professional in how you handle these sorts of things. And think about meetings as an enabler and not a time waster. Alan, some personal tactics in managing your day. Indeed, and it's lovely to welcome Naomi into our three little girls from school, or three little people from school anyway. Um, I hope you're all following the Nanky Poo and the Titi, uh, and, uh, Titi Poo uh, theme here and singing along as we go, because um, here is a howdy-do indeed, and that is things you should do yourself when you're sitting down to do some work. Um, if you've got projects which you're working on, put them into your diary. So it's an appointment. And then you know you have to keep the appointment and other people on your shared diary can see that you're busy and with any luck won't bother you. Um, a very, very bad thing that most of us do, and I'm certainly one of them, uh, is to check emails all day, every day and respond. And just because you have a smartphone or an iPad or your laptop or whatever else, you think you have to be on call all day, every day. Don't. If you're, if you're really struggling with time in your office, set some times to check your emails. When you first go in in the morning, when you have a tea break or a toilet break, when you have lunch, when you, you get towards the end of the afternoon. But don't just have it clicking through on your screen all the time when you're working on other things, because that is a great distractor. Um, Work out with your team or with other people around you what your do not disturb process is. It may just be that you normally have an open door and you decide if the door is closed, please do not come and bother me unless the building is burning down because I am doing something very important. But whatever it is, make sure people understand it and then use it so that when you need that really good concentrating time, you're working on a project or something like that, close the door and people know not to interfere. Uh, and the other thing, you know, if you switch, if you're dealing with your emails properly, do the same with your phone. You don't have to give a Facebook update or an Instagram update every time you have a cupcake for tea or something like that. Switch the phone off for a period of time so you can concentrate because phones are great interferences. Um, even, I mean, Anne and I both have to work a lot with overseas clients because we're based here, Marks and Lundy is US and so on, and the time zones are killing us. But I actually do have a policy from 11 p.m. at night to 6 a.m. in the morning, the phone is off. I do not, you know, I, I simply won't respond between those hours because I actually have to get some sleep. Otherwise, I can never look as gorgeous as I normally do. And it's very important, as we'll find out in a minute. So set periods of time aside when you will literally not have your phone on and be prepared to answer it and be at everybody's beck and call. Um, lists again, we've talked about them. I think a policy that I like to try and do, and I'm not always as successful as I'd like to be, is to deal with one item, deal with it, get rid of it and move on. Sometimes I leave something sitting on my desk and I have to have two or three goes of it. It's bad management. When you're looking at what you've got ahead of you, work out what the task is, 
set it up, deal with it, and get it moving on. Uh, and I've mentioned this business about not nibbling. That's the, that's the whole problem. You have a big task in front of you, you do a little bit of that, you go off and do something else, you come back later, you do a bit more, you lose focus, you lose productivity. So if it's a really big task, break it up into certain manageable chunks and deal with each chunk, move on. Keep moving on, do not dwell. Um, and if there is something which you look at, and we used to call it the too hard basket, probably still is, if it's too hard for you, admit it and say, I can't deal with this, find some assistance and get someone else to help you or to deal with it or pass it to the person who can, but don't just have it sitting there, deal with it and move on. Or Alan, can I add there, don't forget the Educate Plus community is a great source of advice and assistance. And so reach out to people for, for yeah. that. Absolutely. Um, the network is fantastic and very, very supportive. And this goes back to the point made earlier about treating people well and with respect, but not equally, um, because you're trying to develop the relationships which are going to be most supportive and meaningful for you. So work on those, treat the other people well, try not to antagonize the people you know are gonna be your blockers. Now work with them to the best of your ability, don't make them your best buddies. Treat people well and with respect. Because you have so many things to do, and we go back to earlier slides about work where the resources are, work where the money is, work where you can show your, your impact and you can show the metrics. Data is the key. If you keep showing real metrics and data, you can demonstrate what you're doing. And it's a real big plus. And go back to an earlier slide about commit, that very important word. Once you decide you're going to do this particular project or take on this program or something, commit to it and go for it full ball and take whatever assistance you need to help fulfill it. But actually commit, don't go half-heartedly because that is a recipe for disaster, I fear. And we don't want disaster. So back to you, Anne, because at the end of the day, you need to do certain things, don't you? This is actually a, a useful tech, new tool that I learned early in my time and has been a great assistance to me throughout my career. A discipline that I learned about at the end of the day, regardless of what was left on my desk, reflecting on the day. And the first question I used to say was, what have I completed today? What have I actually audited my time and that of my team? What have we done to contribute to our core objectives? How have we actually progressed towards those two, three, four, five core objectives? Or have I actually been engaged all day in busy work that actually hasn't progressed me towards that. It was a real discipline keeping me on track in terms of have I achieved that? Because many days I started to find I was doing busy work rather than moving towards those core objectives. So what have I completed? What's still in progress and, and why? Um, what's not finished, of course? Making a list for tomorrow. And I think doing that at the end of the day does help to actually focus the mind. It also helps to end the day. What has to be done tomorrow? How will I tackle those sorts of things? How will I refocus my attention on the things that I really need to move forward? Um, 
seeking that advice or assistance. Perhaps I'll email this person. Perhaps I'll give Alan a call. Perhaps I'll call Neil at Educate Plus. Perhaps I'll do this. Perhaps I'll consult with the chair of the board. What do I need to move these forward? And I think very importantly, thinking, what have I achieved today? And feeling a sense of satisfaction. And that 15 minutes plus I found tidying my desk into some semblance of order. And I say semblance of order because, you know, there'd be multiple projects happening and multitasking, but actually tidying it up so that I had a clarity of where I'd got to and sorting out things for the morning was an exercise that I found ended the day, added some job satisfaction, focused the mind and enabled a really productive start to the next day. So I found that a very useful tool in all of that. When we're thinking about our roles, upwards management is a really important part of what we do. And so let's think about our boss, our CEOs, our heads, our heads of schools, our principals, whoever we report to. And think about it the other way around. What do they owe you in order for you to be successful in your role and in order for you to be able to achieve? And this list of things that we've put there, of the list that we've put there, that vision, the vision is the most important one. If they're providing you with an exciting vision of the school, where it's going to, and the role that you play in taking it there, then that will help to focus you and your team of one, you, or your team of two or three. But discussing with your leader, your fearless leader, no doubt, what you actually expect from them is actually a really good conversation in terms of them respecting you as a professional within your role and a content leader. And some of these ones, for example, I had a boss who thought that no decision was a decision. So timely decisions became a really good discussion point with us. And it really helped us to progress things because what I found when I reflected at the end of the day was a lot of things weren't being progressed because I was waiting for things. So by having this discussion around what I needed to be effective was a very helpful one. And let's think about what your boss expects from you on our next slide. One of the things that they really expect from us is that we are the content leaders in our area or multiple areas. And most of us have strength in one or two of them. For example, we might have a background in alumni or marketing comms or in fundraising. And so often we turn to Educate Plus and to peers to, to fill out that content in other areas. But they do expect us to keep the trains running on time to be honest, to make really good use of their time and to actually focus on the goals that we're setting. So you might find those two slides really useful discussion points with your leader about who you are, where you're going to and how you're working together on this journey of actually being effective and moving your institution forward in a really focused and, and productive manner. We don't want to be efficient, we want to be effective. And I think that's really at the centre of what we're trying to say here. You want to make effective use of your time, of your resources, and of what you can do for your institution. So, Alan, let's talk about some final things here. 
Indeed, we've only got about five minutes left, so we've, we've just a little bit of a canter, but knowing yourself, it's so important. We've talked about the office and the setup and you know, working out your hours and allocations and so on, but look at yourself as well and do this. Actually work out what your true strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and where you're in the middle of the road and where you're just muddling along, and see if you can upskill the middle of the road ones but get assistance in the areas where you know that this is not a strength. Don't try and fake it. Be honest, because if you're honest, it really helps. And you've got lots of resources out there, okay? Don't forget Educate Plus, the mentoring network, all of the material, all of the resources which Educate Plus has. If you're a member of CASE, you can get similar sorts of material from them. Talk to your colleagues, get examples of good practice, of, of things that have gone well, things that have not gone well. Don't think you have to reinvent everything because somebody's probably thought of something very similar before or even the same thing. The case principle of copy and steal everything, apply it to everybody who you interface with. It's very important. And don't forget, you will make mistakes. You should make mistakes because you're experimenting. But evaluate the mistake, learn from it, and do a better job next time and keep moving on because that also is important. And if you do understand your strengths and weaknesses, it's much easier then to seek assistance. And these groups here, your external ones and your internal ones can give you a vast range of extraordinary assistance. And you'd be very surprised sometimes at the people who will come to help you if you ask them. It's like fundraising, if you don't ask, you don't necessarily receive anything. But if you ask people for advice, for help, you will almost certainly get some very, very good responses. And remember that asking for assistance is not a sign of weakness. It's far from it. It's because you recognize who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and that you have a passion for your institution and for doing well and wanting to make it succeed, that you ask for extra assistance. So never pretend, don't fake things, but be realistic. I had a boss who, when I first started out in all of this, he told me, don't come to me with your problems, come to me with some potential solutions and let's discuss them. So think it through first and try and find some possible suggestions for solutions take the problem and your suggestions to your boss or bosses. They may have completely different perspectives, but you've got a starting point. Don't just go and say, I've got a problem. Everybody's got problems. People are much more interested in solutions and working together to find them. So I'm handing back to Anne for another blast of the Mikado. He's relentless on that Mikado, wonderful. Um, and we will move quite quickly. One of my challenges with my bosses is I've had very enthusiastic, wonderful leaders who came up with bright ideas every day and I was drowning under the avalanche of it. So I instituted a number of systems to do that. Um, dashboards, and we'll show you an example in a moment, a traffic light system on the next slide. Um, I also instituted a, a, um, a shared folder where all the bright ideas went. So I said to him, I can't do last week's ideas, last month's ideas, last year's ideas. Let's have a shared spot where we note them all down so we don't lose them. 
but it stopped him coming to my door at about six o'clock almost every day with, I've had a new idea and me saying, what would you like me to stop doing now in order to do the new idea? But it meant that we didn't lose track of them. So find, share some humor and find some ways forward. And Alan, our traffic light on the next one is a great and simple way of doing it. You set up all of your key areas within it. You look at some of the activities for the next week or fortnight and use a simple traffic light system about where you're at. And you're, if you have team members, they can help to fill it in. It builds, it builds participation from them. It has transparency and it focuses then. You can have a discussion about the big issues rather than get caught up in the minutiae and the activities of life. So these sorts of things are really useful tools in delivering all of those sorts of things. And on the next slide, Alan, we're learning to say no nicely. And I'm sure that when we get back those sheets, Sheila, there'll be some wonderful tactics on how to say no nicely and how to get things up. And people do spend a lot of time worrying about things that they weren't quite clear to what the task was. So getting that clarification Doing as Russell said and stretching your staff, delegating and empowering them is a really important thing. And being creative with the internal and external help, all of those things. Alan, let's bring it to a close here. Indeed. In my younger thespian days, I loved playing Nanky Poo. Um, but these days I prefer to be the Grand Poo Bar. That's the person in charge of everything. But you have to be totally in charge. So get rid of those shreds and patches. Um, make sure that you, your office, your team are confident, well-ordered and uh, well-controlled, I suppose. And recognize the different hats that you have to wear because they won't all disappear, but be prepared to, as Russell said, when you've got different areas, you have to be able to look at those areas and access them, but then give people autonomy. And we do talk seriously about dressing up. So you actually dress for the part and you make sure you represent everything in a well-ordered, neat and tidy fashion. I have been on so too many Zooms with people around the world at the moment who turn up in their tracky dacks and look pretty sloppy. This is not professional. So you need to look professional. Um, but if you do, and here are the terrible puns, if you step in the poo, step out of it, step forward, clean it off, and keep moving forward. And if you can do all of that, then this is where you'll end up. You wouldn't have been drowning, you would have been waving, you would have seen where you started from, you would have seen where you're going, and you would have got to the other side, and we would be absolutely excited and deliriously clapping you for your achievements, because it's not easy. You have to be firm, you have to be uh, able to sustain all of the effort and enthusiasm. I need and to save you from Alan, I think. Sorry? <laughs> I need to save them all from Alan here. <laughs> well, that's probably true. So this is your slide, I think, Anne. Yes, it is. Just to sum up here, a recording will be on the website before you know it. Sheila's wonderful. A couple of hours will all be happening. The slides will be available as well. The task responses you're all going to scan and send to Sheila, including uh, both you know, the group and the individual ones. Uh, we'll come back to you, of course, with that and add some value to it. And the offer is out there to come to us directly with 
issues that you might have or specific issues to your institution that we weren't able to address today because they were quite particular to that. So these are all of the avenues to go forward. We have encouraged you very much to learn from each other and reach out. So we hope you'll take that offer. Obviously, we're going to finish on time. So I'm afraid that discussion hasn't come out, but there are lots of questions. I know Sheila, some people are popping them up there so that we can follow up those discussion points there. Thank you very much for your time and participation. And we hope this is another useful tool in the Educate Plus toolkit of webinars during this time.